Welcome and thank you for taking the time to listen to the Word of God released through Randolph Barnwell. Randolph is the founder and senior elder of Gate Ministries Durban Central. Be encouraged to access free additional resources for your edification at randolphbarnwell.com. Great grace, peace and mercy from Christ be multiplied to you as you listen to this teaching. Still dealing with the subject of the you we are son, and we've covered much ground with this already. We've dealt with Nepios, we've dealt with Pidon, we've dealt with Technon, we've dealt with Neaniskos, and now we're dealing with the Uios son. And um, we've covered several issues. Let me just repeat them and not I won't explain them just for t- to rehearse them. I said that. The Uriah son demonstrates consistent submission and obedience to his spiritual father, like Jesus did, right, to, to Mary and Joseph. He was Mary and Joseph's Pidon, the child. He was Mary and Joseph's Technon. They said to him at 12, she said to him, my child, my, my Technon, where have you been? But from 12, he subjects himself to them, he was in submission to them, and at 30, after being baptized by John in the River Jordan, what does the Father say? You are my Uios. So he's Mary and Joseph's Pidon and Tecton, but he's God's Uios. You can never ever be God's Uios until you demonstrate how as a Tecton, you're willing to submit to instructions. Right? You're willing to submit to the word delivered in and through one's, one's spiritual father. And I say these things seriously inheritance for you will always be deferred unless you mature the demand for the season is to mature so so long as the heir as long as the child the heir is a child galatians 4 he differs no more than a than a slave but is in need of tutors and guardians spiritual fathering also in some respect is a representation of tutors and guardians that god has put in your life because God knows, I need to give my son an inheritance. But I can't give him his inheritance unless he ma- matures. So maturity is the thing. And so long as, brethren, you go in circles and you don't treat this matter urgently, forever your inheritance will be deferred. You are saved and you will still go to heaven. But you will not get to manage your inheritance. And now that is not what we are. I, I don't want to just make it into heaven. Right? I want to fulfill the mandate that God has for me here and and now. Secondly, we said he knows internally that he's a mature son because he has a witness from his heavenly father within. You see, the heavenly father witnessed about Jesus. You are my son. And I said to you, you will know the unction deep inside of you when you are God's Uios. You are God's Uios. You are that reality is present now. It's present in a positional sense. But God wants to take it and make it a practical, experiential, subjective and personal reality. Right? That you we are son position must be uncovered. Remember what we read in Galatians 4, 15, I think and 16. Paul said this, God who called me from my mother's womb was pleased to, uh, to reveal his son in me. Right? He's you, we are son. God was pleased to reveal his son in me. So your perfect state is already present with, within you. It simply must be uncovered. It's not so much striving to be it. It's allowing him to become it in and through you. He wants to be revealed in you. And he's already there, there present. And I want to encourage you to really focus to focus upon these things. The Uriah son, although relating to a spiritual father, is a son of God, his father. And this is a critical point. The new shift today is a movement away so much from spiritual fathering and spiritual sonship to divine fathering and divine sonship. What God in his, in his wisdom has stressed recently is the father-son wine scheme. We've been stressing that the era of pastor and membership is obsolete. Now it's a season of 
fathers and sons. Spiritual fathering and spiritual sonship. But the goal of spiritual fathering and spiritual sonship is so that you could know God as your, as your father. The father-son wineskin is a means to a greater end. You can have me as your spiritual father, but not know God as your father. Then you are still orphaned. You are not a son because you can say, Randolph's my spiritual father. You are a son when you come to know God as your father. Right? You must be totally father-fixated, father-focused, father-centric. The Heavenly Father must become your world. Right? You must be so in love with Him. And this has given me such rest recently, quiet confidence in, I know who I am as His son, I know He's my daddy, He's my papa, He's my father, that will take good care of me in every circumstance. I want to encourage you, develop intimacy with Papa. I'm your spiritual father, but my role is to lead you in relationship to to Heavenly Father. Okay? Amen. You see, the child got it. Amen? I want to encourage you. You must, you must know God as your father. That's the ultimate for me. The ultimate for me. Naomi's focus was to lead Ruth into intimacy with Boaz. Naomi is the spiritual father. Ruth is the spiritual son. It's the relationship between Ruth and Boaz that produces Obed. The relationship, our relationship is very important. You're my spiritual son. I'm your spiritual father. But it's your relationship with the heavenly father that will produce something in the earth that will change the course of human history forever. My job is simply to facilitate you to that place of greater intimacy with with him. Everyone lift up your hands, close your eyes, and just say, Abba, Father. Say, Father, my Father. Say, my, my Papa. Tell him, you're my Daddy. If I can get every single one of you locked in, totally fixated by him, then my job as your spiritual father is done. And remember, I'm invisible. Right? Please see me as invisible. Now, don't dismiss me when you see me. Regard the principles of honor and all that are in place. But always be in your mind. God put him in my life, Renee and I. God put them in my life simply for them to lead me into greater intimacy with, with him. Joseph is hardly mentioned, not so, in the Gospels. He is the typical case of what invisible fathering is all about. He's there behind the scenes, but it's, it's Jesus. And when you read, how many of you read John? I suppose you read John last week. Remember the whole book of John? If you haven't read it, please read it. And see how in the book, Jesus is totally father fixated. Everything is, I, I, whatever I see, um, I, I first see my father. He shows it to me. Whatever I do is what my first my, my, father, do, my father does. Totally father focused, totally father centric, totally father fixated. Jesus said, when they asked, show me the Father, what, what did he say? If you've seen me, so true fathering is invisible, but it showcases the Son. All right? It pushes forth the Son. Then we also said, he has an intimate relationship with God as his Father, and convinced that he will take care of him always. Clint shared powerfully this morning on the need not to worry. Right? And remember we said, remember Matthew 6, 31 into 33, do not fret for your life. What you shall eat, drink, or wear, right? For the Gentiles seek for these things, but your what? Your, your father knows that you have need of these things, right? We went to Cape Town not knowing how we we're going to come back. All we did, we booked flights without having any money to book flights back. All I knew, I needed to be with my son in Cape Town and I needed to take the whole family down. While we were there, multiple needs arose. One of, the, one, of the, one of the objectives, we need to, to repair his vehicle, right? And so, it's amazingly, we ordered a spring that was broken. I went to the man, uh, the, the Tata dealer there. There was no, none in stock yet to order it from Joburg. It took three days to come down. Uh, shocks were gone there afterwards. The battery needed replacing. Two tires needed to be repaired. And the, after all was said and done, the remote um, was, was malfunctioning, right? After spending about 8,000 rand, um, we finally thought, oh, the car's ready. 
we've drive it out reverse it starts to shudder phone the mechanic and then some some issue with the gearbox mounter had to order the parts again it's only arriving next week tuesday right but it's rideable it's riding around with it except for the reverse gear and literally we never sent for all of that but every time the need presented itself god made a way for its provision and what the law was teaching me i literally the one night what Clint said, what he started to grip me. Because now it's not just only paying for this, it's what about, the, what about getting everybody back home? You know? And I uh, literally, we were, our funds were literally exhausted. Not a cent anyway, no bank account, no hard cash, nothing. And I lied on my bed and the Lord said to me, oh, remember just last week before you left, you preached Matthew 6, do not worry what you shall eat, what you shall drink. And, but I'm your papa. Right? And the Lord just, I wasn't fretting, but the Lord reminded me of Matthew 6. And so before we, we slept, I laid on my bed. I thought, I'm going to have one good sleep tonight. This is not going to disturb one moment. I will demonstrate who my papa is. Demonstrate who my, who my father is. Amen. And the next morning, provision came supernaturally. Right? Without solicitation. Right? And God is, I want to encourage you. God is faithful. If you ever have seen the faithfulness of the Lord. People were asking us, oh, by the way, when are you going back? My response is, we'll know. We'll know soon. We'll know soon. Amen. And it kept being deferred, but we wanted to spend the maximum time, obviously, with, with, with Matthew. And God taught me the principle, don't worry. I want to encourage you, brethren. You see, the way you deal with worry is you become totally father-focused. If your father is your world, whatever need you are in, God will take care of you. Right? God will take care of you in every, in every circumstance. To worry, like Clinton said, is such a waste of emotion. Such a negative emotion. There's nothing you can really do about the situation. So why worry? Why go on the negative if there's nothing in your, in your physical power to deal with it? Defer it to God, like Peter says, cast your care on the Lord for He, for He cares for you. Okay? God will provide your need so that you do not lack. And you know, when, when the Lord broke through, I was so happy. And I, in my mind, in my heart, thank you, Lord. And the Lord said to me, I'm teaching you fathering. Right? Thamonaidu is your spiritual father. I'm drawing you into intimacy with me. His role is so that you can, I can become your world. Amen? And I want to encourage you. All the scriptures about, uh, that, that we focus upon. Remember uh, Hebrews 1, 5, 5, and Hebrews chapter 1, verse 5 says that uh, he will, uh, you are my son, God says. You are my son, today I have begotten you. And he says, I will be a father to him. Right? I will be a father to him. What did God say about David in Psalm 89? Right? He will cry, you are my father. And the next verse says, God says, I will make him my firstborn son. Firstborn reality is always born out of a revelation of who father is. I'll say it again. Firstborn reality is born out, flows out from a revelation of who father is. Please, uh, if, I, if, if, if I want to encourage you to focus on a portion of Scripture, it's Psalm 89. It's been revolutionary to, from verses 20 to verse 27. God says concerning David, right? You are my, he will cry to me, you are my father. God responds, when I hear that cry, father, God says, I make you my firstborn son. You can't be made firstborn son if there's no cry within you for him, Right? I want the Abba. We cry, Abba, Father. So firstborn strength, firstborn reality, firstborn conviction is born out of a cry for Father. I know that God is not your Father when I see how you worry. That is the reality. I know that you haven't got a revelation of your Father when I see how you worry. Your level of worry tells me you don't know Him. Hmm? That's the sad corollary of all of this. And I want to, so everyone say, Father. I want to encourage you. Having heard all of this, brethren, let us mature and get to know Him. And when we are faced with our next serious need, 
Uh, Quinton shared that God is a God of redemption. All that Job went through, all that Job went through, he was convinced that God is a redeeming God, that God will redeem me, right? And I really believe he had a, a, a view of God as Father. Father will take care of us. Father will take care. Remember Jeremiah 31 verse 9? God says, Israel is my... What does it say? Israel is my... Let me just quote it correctly. I will make them walk by streams of water. Jeremiah 31 verse 9. For I am a father to Israel, and Ephraim is my firstborn. You always have firstborn emergence from the context where God's presence as father is established. So I'm a father to Israel, and Ephraim is my firstborn. How many of you want to be firstborn practically, experientially? You want these things to work in your life? Nothing's going to work if you don't focus upon Him as your source. My job is not my source. Titan offerings, I've learned, is not my source. Father is my source. Right? God will take care of us consistently all the, all the time. Amen? So I want to encourage you. You know, one of the great delights I, I had this week was to see a level of joy in the family I've never ever seen up to this point. Literally. To see happiness, to see laughter, to hear sibling joy. I mean, they're generally happy family. Don't Please don't get me wrong. <laughs> I think we're probably one of the most happiest families alive today and the year, right? No matter what we go through, we exhibit the joy of the Lord. But this week, I heard the sound of laughter. And as a father, my heart was warmed. And how much more the Heavenly Father. God was saying to me, if you feel that about your natural kids, how do I feel about you? How, how, will, how will I do everything in my power to provide for, for you? I'm telling you, brethren. Tom was busy. I haven't heard the fullness of his teaching yet. But he is busy teaching now recently the emphasis on divine father, not spiritual father. Because in some context, spiritual father has become an idol. Right? And it's taken the place of the heavenly father. God is wanting his position back in our minds, in our hearts. It's all about father. All about father. And then we said, uh, we ended off last time on this point, I think. That the Uwea son is not offended by the discipline of his father, but is a son who is loved and so matures, producing evidence of the fruit of righteousness in his life. Right? Now, I won't quote the whole reference, but the reference is Hebrews chapter 12 from verses 7 to 11. Now, think about it like this God says, if it's for discipline, you endure, then God deals with you as sons. When does God deal with you as sons? When you are disciplined. And what does the Bible say? Every son that he loves, he chastens. So what is discipline? Discipline is an expression of love. Please repeat this after me. Discipline is an expression of love. So why do we correct, reprove, rebuke, chastise? Because we love. If we did not love, we wouldn't do that. Right? So God says, if you endure, everyone say endure. Many people can't endure discipline. That's the word you, the Bible uses a very strong word here. You're disciplined, you must endure. And it says, no discipline for the time seems pleasant. Who was ever disciplined? Said, Glory, hallelujah. Woo, hallelujah, can't wait. I was just lashed, hallelujah. <laughs> Nobody does that. Even, uh, even we were called recently to a time of, of, of discipline um, at the last apostolic school. Right? Where Father speaks. Why? Why does He do that? He speaks because He loves us. Amen? Discipline is always redemptive. It's with a view to redemption. But here is the sad reality. You know, I thought about this in Cape Town and God only gave me the principle while I was meditating. I was consciously the one morning. I read this verse in several portions of, of versions of the Bible. And I was meditating upon this verse. Listen to what the scripture says. But if you are without discipline, of which you all have become partakers, then you are illegitimate children, not sons. So it says, if you, if you can't handle discipline, you manifest yourself as illegitimate. But if you do, you showcase yourself as uios. The uios son has the capacity to handle discipline. Now please... 
hear me. Discipline, and by the way, this is a father's discipline. A father's discipline here is used to distinguish the mature, euios on one hand, and the nothos. The Greek word nothos is the child or the illegitimate child on the other. What distinguishes the true? And nothos is, is not your son. You've disciplined and he's manifested that he's not your son. The word nothos is spurious. It means false. It's illegitimate. And sometimes God, listen carefully, God will use discipline to clarify who's a son and who's not a son. Because the son will endure it. Not so? And God says, like a UEA son, you have the capacity to, in, to endure it. This for me is one of the most saddest portions of scripture in the Bible. Really. I would rather have, I would rather if I was writing to say, well, if you can't endure discipline, you are nepios. God says, you're not even there. You are natos. It's like nothing. You are not even son. Dr. Segi said this to us some time ago in one of his sonship teachings. Only discipline sons. Don't discipline anyone that's not your son. Because a son will handle it. A son knows your heart. A son knows it's redemption. Redemptive. So I want to encourage you uh, uh, sons in the Lord. Whenever I discipline, it's with a view to your maturity. It's with a view to, to helping. Amen? So are, will you endure it? Endure discipline as, as of the Lord. Okay, three points quickly. I'm going to try and get this in before we are done. So the next time you're disciplined, your response should be, see how much God loves me. For those he loves, he, dis- he chastises. See how much he loves me. Now, next point. The you your son embraces suffering or life experiences as an essential part of his fashioning as a mature son who has learned and become a standard of obedience. Your reference here is Hebrews chapter 2 verse 10. It says, For it was fitting for him, for whom are all things, that, and through whom are all things, in bringing many sons to glory, to perfect the author of their salvation through sufferings. So your perfection is through sufferings. You're not going to be Teleos. You're not going to be this you, your son, unless God submerges you in suffering. So when you do suffer and you do experience trial of the trial of the trial, you know God is busy fashioning me as his son. And when I'm tried in the fire, I will come out as pure gold. And it says the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory that shall be revealed, First Peter says. And I quoted this verse in, in, in Cape Town. And the Lord really um, unveiled to me the revelation of it. The sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared to the glory. Everyone say glory. The glory is the nature of God, the stature of God in us. So to get that, God says, I will, I will submerge you in suffering. The sufferings is not worthy to be compared with the glory that can be that will be revealed. So God is saying the process of suffering will not be comparable with the outcome of the suffering. Right? What you're subjected to does, will pale to insignificance when you see the outcome of it. For the sufferings of this present time is not worthy to be compared with what that thing will produce in you. Remember what David said, I was glad that I was afflicted so that I might learn your word. Hold fast to your word. And in your seasons of suffering, God permits certain things for you to experience because he wants to mold his nature within you. Now it says this about the son, Hebrews 5.8, And though he was a son, though he was Uios, he learned obedience by the things that he suffered. How did Jesus learn obedience? By the things that he suffered. The Greek word for suffering here does not necessarily indicate trial. The, the, the word literally means experience by the things he experienced. Life is one big experience. right? And the things you experience 
teaches you how to obey God. The thing about a UER son, he is strong on obedience. He obeys. Obedience is key to him. He wants to do the right thing in the eyes of God consistently. And sometimes to get you to that place, God will put you through a range of experience where your internal resolve is strengthened. Yes, now, based on what God has subjected me through, I have now resolved that I will obey Him. Not my will, but, but thine will be done. Jesus said in the garden, if it's possible, let this cup of suffering pass me. But not my will, but thy will be done. Therefore, I want to encourage you, brethren, be like Jesus uh, the Bible says, run the race with, Hebrews 12 with, with patience, looking unto Jesus, the author and the perfecter of your faith, who for the joy that was set before him, he endured what? The cross. Isn't the cross the greatest expression of suffering? So how can you endure your cross? It says, for the joy that was set before him, he endured the cross. And even while enduring the cross, he despised the shame of it. The embarrassment associated with it was a non-issue for him. Why? He focused on the outcome. There was a joy set. Tell your neighbor, you too have a joy set. And I pray the Lord will open your eyes. Right? Right now we're in the middle of perplexing issues on a multiple range of, 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 of levels. Yet, I train my mind, Lord, I don't know exactly, but I'm keeping my eye on the joy, the outcome. For, it says, my suffering is not even worthy to be compared with what the suffering is about to produce. The sufferings is not worthy to be compared to the glory that shall be revealed because of them. Amen? Tell your neighbor, your sufferings is God's tool. Now tell them this, it will not compare to what it produces. You must get a revelation of that scripture. The process of suffering will be incomparable to what that thing will produce in your life. They're not worthy, the suffering is not worthy to be compared with what it will develop and, 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 and uh, bring to pass within your life. Amen. I want to skip one or two things. I want to just do one point and finish off with this. The UER son is led by the Spirit and his deeds and speech are reflective of God, his Father. This is, I seriously want to stress for us brethren. Romans, if you are UER, if you are mature, it means you are led by the Spirit and you're not led by any other voice. Romans 8 verse 14 says the following, For all who are being led by the Spirit of God, they are the what? They are the sons of God. So who are the sons of God? Those that are led by the Spirit. And I like the New American Standard Version as I've quoted. It says, those who are being led. Not led as in past, but ever present continuous tense. Those who are consistently being led by the Spirit, these manifest themselves as the, the Uios, the sons of God. Now, to be led by the Spirit means, what does it mean to be led by the Spirit? Primarily, it means to obey God's Word. You are led by the Spirit when you obey God's Word. The Spirit never contradicts the Word of God. Nobody can tell me I'm led by the Spirit to do this. When I see what you're doing, you're directly contradicting a clear principle in God's, in God's Word. Not so? So your leading of the Spirit must corroborate the truth of God's Word. God's Spirit is, will always lead you from the body of truth revealed to you from the Word of God. Spirit and Word always work together. The UER son knows this. He does nothing claiming, listen carefully, to be led by the Spirit, yet he's contradicting key principles in God's Word. Right? Key principles in God's Word. And so um, I corrected one brother in Cape Town. Uh, he said 
he, he gives his, his, his tithe to a charitable organization and to some, a personal family. And he was proud of it. And his bubble was burst when I said, it's actually unbiblical. It's wrong what you're doing. You might think it's honorable, but what you're doing is violating a serious principle in God's word. You bring your tithe not to a charitable organization, not to a family that you think is in need. You bring it to the storehouse. Now you can't claim, I'm led by the Spirit to do this. The Spirit will not lead you to do something that the Word of God, that contradicts a principle in God's Word. Amen? And you can apply this principle in a multiple range of situations. Never ever claim leading of the Spirit when you're violating the principles of God's Word. Amen? As laudable and as honorable as it might seem from a natural perspective. Okay? Now beyond that, this is what I want to stress. We are a word company, aren't we? You love the word of the Lord? You love God's word? You want to obey everything God's word tells you? Yes, we can. Now, I, let's, let's say that is presupposed. We all love God's word. We know what God's word says about most issues. And we seek to govern our lives in obedience to what we know in the word. So in that respect, we are always led by the spirit. Now, outside of that, the spirit can lead you with subtle thoughts, subtle impressions, to do certain things, to think certain things, to act in a particular manner that's going to require your discernment. Right? This is not a matter of whether it's in contradiction to the word of the Lord or not. Right? It must always be. But now you, are, the Holy Spirit can give you a subtle thought or impression that you must obey. Now let me just read these scriptures to you. Listen to them carefully. Jesus never ever did anything until he was thoroughly convinced it was his father's leading. Two things. He wouldn't say something and he wouldn't do something unless he heard the father or he saw the father do it. Now if anybody, this is the son, this is the Uios, this is the word made flesh. If he is the embodiment of the word and he functioned like that in life, how much more should should we? Okay? Now, I want to encourage you because in the next segment, session six is almost done. In session six, we're going to focus on how the Spirit's operation is directly focused to develop mature sonship. It's a lengthy study, but it will be a blessing to you. But start to listen out for His voice. Start to be, don't dismiss what He's leading you to do. And now listen to these portions of scripture. This is what I said, read the book of John. They're all from the book of John, most of them. John 5 verse 30, Jesus said, I can do nothing on my own initiative. Everyone say initiative. Now say own initiative. We're not saying don't have initiative. But sometimes your own initiative can be unreliable. That's why the Bible says, trust in the Lord with all your heart. Lean not to your own understanding. We're not saying abandon your understanding. But sometimes the understanding not informed by a well-informed spirit is, is, is not credible, a basis upon which to make a decision. Right? So Jesus said this, I can do nothing of my own initiative as, listen to you, as I hear, I judge. And my judgment is just because I do not seek to do my own will, but the will of him that sent me. Right? Think, I know I love the Lord. Who loves the Lord? Come on. We love Jesus, our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. When I read the book of John, which you must read again, I'm going to read it again this week. Read it and underline every time he mentions Father. He references his Father. He was so obsessed with this idea. He is there. He's going to lead me by his Spirit. I can do nothing outside of my, my, my focus with, with Father. John 5, 19 to 20. Therefore Jesus answered, was saying to them, Truly I say to you, the Son can do nothing of himself. How is that? The U, you say Uios here. The Uios can do nothing of himself. Unless it is something he sees the Father doing. For whatever the Father does, these things the Uios Son does in like manner. The key word here is like manner. In other words, you mustn't just do what you see the Father do. You must do it in like manner. Do it exactly. Do it as a copycat. Not so? Do it with precise accuracy, in other words. 
For the, here's the verse I love. For the Father loves the Son. And He shows Him all things that He Himself is doing. Question. Ask your neighbor this. Does God love you? Now this verse says, Because the Father loves the Son, the Father will show the Son everything He's doing. Right? I want to encourage you, pray tonight, laid as a claim upon Father. Say, Father, I know you love me, so reveal your secrets to me. Show me what you're doing in my life. Show me what you expect to do in my family, with my world. Right? One of the things I knew we had to ratify um, this week in, in, our, in our visit to Cape Town it was the issue of Matthew's courtship. Right? Because you know why? We've seen the Father do it. So all we're doing is we agreeing with what he has already done in the spirit. Now please don't use this line for those of you who are looking for partners and say, I've seen the Father now, come. <laughs> I'm just using it as a case in point, all right? All that the Father, he shows him what he himself is doing and the Father will show him even greater works than these so that you might marvel. Amen? Tell you never get ready to marvel. Right? Now say this again. Get ready to marvel. Because the Father's about to show me even greater things than this. Let me prophesy over you. You have prophetic perception. You have insight. The Father speaks to you. I really believe in the, in the season we are going into God, even about to show us greater things. You know what? What is the key? If you can be more Father focused, the Father can reveal more to you. God is saying, come into all who I am. There's so much I want to un, un, offload and unveil to you. I, I was preaching at Kenny's church and the Lord said this to me. I was commenting on Hebrews where it says he's given the Son a better name than, than angels. And who are angels? But they are ministering spirits sent forth to minister to those who have become what? Heirs. Everyone say heir. Who's eligible for inheritance? Only you us. Not so? So if you can come into heirship or inheritance as a mature son, what you do is you activate angelic function. It's like angels are waiting unemployed right now. Not unemployed. They're waiting to burst forth. But they're waiting for a condition. It's like when sonship manifests, latent angelic function will be released. Angels are only waiting to be discharged to serve as sons. But absent sons, no angelic involvement. Right? When did, let me ask you this. When did angels strengthen Jesus? On what occasion in the Gospels? After the temptation in the wilderness. Remember? What was the temptation in the wilderness? If you are the son, do this. If you are the son. If you are the son. When Jesus manifested sonship, what happened? Angels came. Whenever sonship arises, you will activate angelic function in your life. I want to encourage you, start to expect a greater level of angels, of angelic involvement. I'm not talking about me. I know I'm an angel to you. I'm talking about the celestial wing creatures. That are gonna, God's going to dispatch for your aid. But the only thing, the Bible says all of creation is waiting for what? For the manifestation of who? What word sons there? It's you, we The Creation, and let me just say this, angels are created beings. The, the, even that realm of creation is waiting for a manifestation of sons. They are, they are, they are crying right now. Saying, Randolph, please get us out of this unemployment here. We are about to burst forth to work on your behalf, but we only respond to the image of Son. Right? Please, brethren, don't dismiss as what I'm saying as not important. I'm, I'm telling you now, I'm expecting a greater level of angelic involvement because of the, the maturation of sonship. We will deal with this more thoroughly in a later session. Check this verse out, John 10 verse 37. I do not do, sorry, if I do not do the works of my Father, do not believe me. But if I do them, though you do not believe me, believe the works so that you might know and understand that the Father is in me and I am in the, I am in the, I am in the Father. Jesus is saying, if I'm not doing the works of my Father, okay, don't believe me. You have a right not to believe me because the works I do are not my Father's. But if I do the works of my Father's, 
Even though you don't believe me, believe the works so that you can finally understand that I am a father of one. God's going to give us works. Everyone say fruit. Fruit that we're going to do as a manifestation of our accurate hearing and seeing what the Father is doing. And let me just say this. Everyone say credibility. You see, his credibility as the son was at stake here. They're saying, we don't believe you. He's saying, fine, no problem. Don't believe me. Because you claim the works I do are not my father's. But, there's a semicolon, but, okay, let's go to the other. But if the works I do are my father's, then believe the works. So that you can finally understand that I and my father are one. What will works do for Jesus? Works will um, validate his claim to sonship. God's going to give us some works that are going to restore our credibility. God's going to give us some fruit in this congregation that's going to restore the perception in the minds of people about who we are and what we represent. And we might say to them, you might not believe us for what we claim to be. At least look at our fruit. See our works. And these will demonstrate whose we are. Amen. I want to encourage you, brethren. Get ready. Tell your neighbor, please get ready. God's going to give you works in your life. God's going to give you fruit in your life. And the fruit on gamma that you're going to experience is going to say, is the whole world around you, all your friends, colleagues will say, now we know who son is. The works will validate who son you are. Jesus says, believe me for the works, because these works will make you understand that I and my Father are one. Amen? Do you believe this, brethren? Come on, I'm going to ask you, do you believe this? Is this real to you? Are you expecting the works? But let me just say this. It all comes from he who is led by the Spirit. Jesus was constantly led by the Spirit. And the Spirit will unveil who? Who Father is. Now yes, let me close with an interesting portion. John 12, verse 49 and 50. John 12, verses 49 to 50. I'm going to read it in two versions. The New American Standard frames it like this. I did not speak on my own initiative, but the Father himself who sent me has given me a commandment as to what to say and what to speak. Now, isn't he repeating himself unnecessarily here? He says, okay, I don't speak on my own initiative, but the Father who sent me, listen carefully, he tells me what to say and what to speak. He tells me what to say and what to speak. If you examine the words in the Greek, the word say is epo, which relates to the content or the substance of what is said. But the word speak is the Greek word laleso, which relates to the manner of the delivery. So the one he says, he tells me what to say, the content, the subject matter, and what to speak, how I deliver. Right? So the New International um, Revised Version says it like this. Let me quote the verse. I do not speak of my own. My Father who sent me commands me what to say and how to say it. Everyone say what to say and how to say it. Sometimes you know what to say but you don't know how to say it. I, I, have you ever been in a circumstance where the person saying truth but the spirit with which they're saying it is totally wrong. Right? So Jesus says it's not, just, it's not just good for the you we are son to know what to say. He must know how to, the spirit in which it must be said. Okay? And I, I've, I've met many, I'm sure you must know many people in your own life who have tremendous access to revelation. But the character flaw within the person sort of uh, dilutes the profundity of the truth and the revelation. And how it's delivered takes away from the truth and the impact of what is said. Hmm? So I want you to train yourself. It's not, you can't just say, the Bible even says, speak the truth in love in Ephesians. Speak the truth in love. You can't just speak the truth. You speak it in in love. How you speak in the season is going to be very, very critically important. And I want to encourage us all, speak redemptively. 
even if you're going to have to rebuke someone, the Bible says uh, you must, uh, if your brother is caught up in a fault, you are spiritual, restore such a one in a spirit of what? Of meekness and gentleness. Even, even when you restore someone, you must do it with serious meekness and gentleness. It says, lest you yourself also fail. You can't, you can't be arrogant. You, you can't adopt uh, arrogancy about those not in the same position as you. And you look down upon them. Remember Zacharias was mute? When, when, when God told him his wife will bear John the Baptist? He did not believe God, remember? And the Bible struck him with muteness. He couldn't speak, right? But later his speech was restored. So sometimes even your brother who hasn't got the faith that you have, don't be disparaging against him. Because there will come a day when he will speak like you. When his muteness will be healed. And he will be, he will be restored. I want to encourage you with these things. Um, remember, Sean reminded us at the law school, if you get my facts straight, Zadok was at Zion. Zadok the high priest. No, Zadok, yeah. Zadok was at Gideon, Gibeah or Gideon. Abiathar was in Zion. At Gibeon or Gibeah, there was no Ark of the Covenant. Remember David's tent had moved to Zion. So there were two high priests functioning simultaneously in two systems of religion. Right? And so um, Zadok was in an inaccurate location where there was no Ark of the Covenant. Because David took the Ark to, the, to Zion. Right? Abiathar, the other high priest, was in an accurate location, serving accurately. But what happens? A Adonijah manifests in rebellion against David. And these two high priests take sides. Remember? Right? Um, and so, Abiathar decided inaccurately. He chose to support Adonijah. Remember? In the rebellion. He falls out of favor with God and out of favor with David, although he's in an accurate location, Zion, where the ark is. Abiathar, sorry, uh, uh, Zadok, in an inaccurate location, perceives that David is God's choice. Right? And so he makes the right decision from an inaccurate location. I want to encourage you, sometimes don't judge people in terms of where they're presently at. Because when the chips are down, and you're going to see who makes the right decision, you're going to be surprised. And the people you think are accurately located will make wrong choices. And those you think are far removed from God's purposes, they're suddenly going to show their mettle and their, their, their ability to discern accurately. Amen? So I don't judge my brothers in the previous season. Some, there are many people in so-called inaccurate locations. I demonstrate this, and I've demonstrated this to you publicly. I support their forums. I go to their meetings, even though they're not in the place of where we are. Because I know there's going to come a day when God's going to change their muteness like Zechariah. They're going to start to speak the same things that we are speaking. They don't, may not believe now, but there will come a day when they will be some of the most greatest proclaimers of what we proclaim. I know some are serving uh, temples where there's no ark now, no, no glory, no principles of the ark. Right? I know nothing's happening, but there will come a day in God's kingdom where some of those men are going to rise up and become the greatest high priest of this season ever. I know these things. So I don't judge. So when I speak about. So I'm, I want to encourage you. One of the greatest uh, things we've suffered in the apostolic. We've developed an arrogance. That we are fine and everybody else is not. I want to encourage you. Repent of that. Love all the brothers. Love all the brothers. So know what to say. You can speak truth. But speak truth. In a spirit of love. Know what to say and how to say. Have you ever corrected someone when you say, what you're saying is true, but how you're saying it takes away from the truth of what you're saying. Right? We must learn how to speak. And one last verse, I'll close my book. Matthew 10, 20 says, Jesus says this to his disciples. When you speak, it will be the spirit of your father that speaks through you. Yes, brethren, if I can leave you with anything as you, we are sons. I can, I'm going to ask you this like Jesus told his disciples. My sons, my disciples, when you do speak, 
ensure that when you speak, the spirit of father is communicated through you. Speak like a father over the house. Right? Speak like one who is mature over the house. Amen? Lift up your hands to him. Father, how we want to know you more. How we desire intimacy with you. Help us to carve out time in our daily schedules to lock in with you, your word in prayer. We lift up our hands in your name and we cry, Abba, Father, my Father, my Father, my Daddy, my Papa, my God, the rock of my salvation. I am your Son. You are my God. You said when we cry, Abba, Father, you will make us firstborn sons. Your Spirit was sent into our hearts giving us the capacity to cry, Abba, Father. Lord, we vow not to do anything unless you are leading, not to say anything unless you are speaking. We don't do anything of our own initiative. We only do the things that we see, and we only say the things that we hear. Teach us what to say, and teach us how to say it as mature sons. I thank you greater works you're going to give to us to, to validate whose we are. We are yours. We are yours. Everyone stand, lift up your hands. As we stand and we lift up our hands to you, loving Father, this whole congregation right now, Lord, is in transition. And there's so many, even in this critical phase of our journey, so many issues threatening the life of what you have built. I ask for greater works. I pray, give us fruit that will validate that we have a purpose, that we are your sons, that we are doing your will. I ask, oh God, that you would break forth on many, on many behalf here, Father, in the name of Jesus. I ask, crown everyone's life with breakthroughs where they are struggling. Break the cul-de-sac. Break the impasse. Break the difficulty. Bring breakthrough so that we might demonstrate whose we are. I ask for this, Father, in your name. As you have done it for me in the week, I pray do it for everybody. Let this become everybody's experience, Lord. I pray, Lord, that we would walk as sons of God in the earth. We want to be led by your Spirit consistently. Help us to listen. Help us to plug in to what you're leading us, how you're leading us. Help us to discern your voice from your word, I ask. I pray a huge blessing be upon your house. In Jesus' name, amen.